The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Hey! <laughs> uh, Little's dad used to go, well oh well oh well when he would come out, and I know why he did that now, because it's this awkward moment where you have to start, but you don't really know what to... Hey, I don't know. Hi, how are y'all? Y'all had a good day? <laughs> God was good with the weather, wasn't he? How perfect was that? That was awesome. Um, I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm just, I look at this situation that we have this time last year, girls. We were hunkered down, and this couldn't happen, and look what the Lord did. Isn't this awesome? So amazing to see. It's so good. It's so good. Um, let me introduce myself. My name is Bethany Clark. I think I have a picture of my crew up here. Uh, yep, there, okay, that's mine. I've got five boys. It is not, I don't, we just happen to have boys. I don't know. But um, Ty's my oldest. He's 15. And then we have uh, Gabe. He, th- we look like we have triplets, but we don't. Gabe, he's praying for a growth spurt. So if you guys want to <laughs> join him in that, that'll be good. Gabe is 13. And then the twins, um, Luke and Levi, are 10. And then we adopted Zeke at birth. So we've had him since he was born, and he is he turned six April 1st, so and he's from Mississippi, because everybody always asks me, what country is he from? I'm like, guess what? He is from Mississippi, <laughs> so um, it's awesome, and he has been such a joy and a, a, a added layer to our family. If you've noticed, everybody that spoke this weekend, um, adoption has been a theme running through, and it's it's something that the Lord just laid on our hearts. It's, we did a, a session on it years ago. I talked about our story and what led us to that. But I'd love to share it with you one time, but it's um, not for everybody. Not everybody's called to that, but it's definitely something. If we can do anything and put feet to what we believe, um, this was one of the ways the Lord just said, we w- I, want you to, I want you to do this. <laughs> and other families are into f- um, foster care, um, different l- areas that you can serve if adoption is not what you can do as your family, but I really challenge you, like what um, Jen was talking about today with when helping hurts, what can you do? What can you do to be an active participant in justice, in helping um, the widows and the orphans and kids that need you? There are so many hurting children, and there's all facets of ways that you can serve. Um, Serve people in your church that are doing the hard work, which might be to be bringing kids into their home, can you offer respite? It's a whole other session. We won't go into it right now, but um, adoption is a very um, special part of the ministry here at Snowbird Outfitters. Um, okay, y'all ready? I'm the fast talker, so whoever just got on the little, you're just going to have to listen to the podcast on two times or the half speed or whatever. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I've tried really hard to work on that, and I'll do my best. But we're going to flip over to Colossians. Um, if you guys want to go ahead and turn there. I love how the Lord just orchestrates this event. If you guys don't know, Jen Jolly doesn't live here. And so we just, they put out this theme, and any of the speakers can tell you, this has been a hard one, y'all. I stand up here, not only is this intimidating, this whole thing, but also the fact that this, I'm, I'm literally doing, living this out of my life daily, right? This is not something that I'm uh, achieved or like last week I yelled at, you know, I yelled at my kid. I had a fit of anger over hamburger meat. You know, that's, that's like legit what I'm dealing with, okay? So I get up here not as an expert, but the Lord has been kicking my tail with this stuff that we've been learning this weekend. And I hope you guys, there's a lot of new people here. And I hope you guys can see, even though there's maybe, this is not as polished as retreats that you've been to and all that, but it's not a show, okay? So what you're seeing is real-life women that love Jesus, that are just doing the best we can to learn more about Jesus every day and press in the community, and that's what you're getting right now, okay? And what you've gotten this retreat. Um, So we've been here since, I've been here since 2003. My husband came in 2000, I believe, yep, he's one of the older members that has, right after Brody and Little came, and he, and we've stayed, we got married here, we had the kids, and he is the missions director at Snowbird Outfitters, so if your um, students have ever come and done missions, you've done that with us, so that's what we get to do, we um, wanted to, when Brody and Little first started Snowbird, we, they, they would take all the campers into the community, and try to bridge the gap between Um, this camp and our neighborhood and our family here in the community. 
we're in the mountains. There's a lot of people here that don't know what we do, and they don't like outsiders coming in. And so that was one of the ways that they tried to break those barriers. And so they would take kids out once a week, and they'd take them out into community, mow lawns, wash windows, do things like that. Well, as we've grown, that's nearly impossible to do. So now you can choose to be a part of the mission side. And then there's a smaller group that gets to go down in those tents that's down there. You've seen them. And they stay down there. Now it has its own bathhouse. So that's awesome. Um, but they go into the community after lunch during a week of camp, and we do projects for people in our community. We get those by word of mouth. We work with a local program called Foursquare, and we just partner with our community to try to share the gospel. The whole purpose of that is not to build, put roofs on houses and build porches, but it's to teach kids how to share the gospel. Uh, the best thing that could ever happen is they go home and they do it back in their own community because we're not doing anything that's extraordinary. It's just teaching them how to serve and using the gospel, or using missions as, a, as the platform to share the gospel. So that's kind of what we do here. And um, for those of you that don't know me, I've lost 20 pounds since September's retreat, okay? And so those of you that were here in September, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> you look the exact same. Well, I just got back off vacation, so <laughs> I gained all those 20 pounds back. I, as Sarah is terrible at gardening. I am terrible at dieting. It's kind of like this idea where I do really, really good, and I y'all don't hit me with your MLMs. I've already done them. I've got the app. I've got the shakes and the powders and the whole... <sighs> And I do really well with a gimmick. Do you guys, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you'll pay somebody $300 to lose a couple of pounds. And then some reason, it always just, you know, they stick cupcakes back there. And then they say, just, it doesn't count. It counts. <laughs> but I wanted to just say that because the, the, the way we look at these fruits of the Spirit, a lot of times that list that Sarah gave us this morning, and she told you guys, and it's true, it's not a checklist, right? But we look at it, and I look at it, she looks at it like gardening. <laughs> I look at it like weight loss, and I think, I'm never, I'm going to try really hard on Monday. Okay, I'm going to wait till Monday, because <laughs> that cheesecake tonight was awesome. So I'm going to wait till Monday, and I'm going to try again. But it's not like that with our fruit of the Spirit, okay? And what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to give you some application. It's really cool that Jen started in Galatians with a church that was very legalistic, okay? And that was their struggle. They were adding all these rules. They were judging, oh, you don't homeschool, or you don't do this, or you don't do that. And they were adding all this stuff to the gospel, and Paul was admonishing them. She did a great job explaining the Spirit. And this morning, Sarah walked through the list so that we can now apply what we're learning. So I want to start in Colossians 1 through 14, and it'll be up here. I made notes, because I know I do talk fast, so they'll be up there, um, but let's get started. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and you understood it. The grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, I want to come before you right now in these next minutes that you've given me and these words that you have ordained, this passage where Paul is admonishing this church Lord, I pray in the busyness of our day and the, the time that we've had just to kind of break away from our normal life, that right now you would meet us, that you would come and you would just, what needs to be said is said and what needs to fall away, you just take it away. 
But God, I pray that you will change lives tonight and that there be somebody in here that just for the first time realizes that they need you as their Savior. There would be no greater gift. And Jesus, we just ask you right now to give everybody a peace here. I know we've had a fun and crazy day, but give us these next few minutes in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so who is this church? We got the context for Galatia, the Galatian church. Well, Colossians was written in response to a journey made by this man named Epaphras. Epaphras was a disciple of Paul, okay? Paul, JT English states, this was a church that Paul didn't start, and he was writing this letter to a group of people that he had never met. This person, Epaphras, we learn in here, was a fellow servant with Paul. Eventually, he's going to be a fellow prisoner, too, and he's a faithful minister of the gospel. So Epaphras is having some issues in his church. It's a good church. You see here, they were grounded in the truth, verse 5. They heard the truth of the gospel. So we know that they're a believing body. I think about these, this church like I would my church, Red Oak, that's a part of Snowbird. I think about Sovereign Hope. I think about um, the different churches that are represented here, Schindler. I'm not sure everybody where you're sitting, but I, I know when I hear of you, when I see you guys walk, Emily Boyd, when you guys walk in, I know, I'm like, whew, they're some faithful friends. We love them. We love when you guys come. And that's how he was feeling about this church, so we know it's a good church, okay? This letter here can easily get overshadowed between the foolish Galatians that Jen did on Friday, then we have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you get into Thessalonians and Timothy where there's the structure of the church. But you have these four books here, this four-chapter book that Paul wrote, four-chapter book that he wrote, and it's admonishing this church that by all outward appearances seems to be doing pretty good. They're not in scandal. Epaphras isn't sleeping around. He's not embezzling money. It's none of that. You can read in Corinthians where they're literally, Paul's having to say, hey, stop trying to date your cousins. You know, it's not, they're literally struggling with this because, um, you read it, the Bible's crazy. Okay, so there's, these things are being brought in because they were saved out of these pagan worship, these pagan practices, and he's having to tell them, well, this church is not like that. But this, the heresies that are creeping in are subtle. And it's crazy because I think about what we are inundated with on a regular basis, what Zach did in his breakout on social media and the news. And I think, oh my goodness, this is exactly what we can struggle with if we are not grounded in God's word, okay? So I'm excited to get in and kind of figure out, we read this first 14 verses and it's kind of one of those overviews you know and sometimes we skip through it but what I want to do tonight is dig deep and listen I'm going to say some things that might step on some toes I'm assuming that if you came to this retreat and you're sleeping in those bunks and <laughs> and you're doing a really good job carrying your food back and forth and all of those things that you want some truth okay so what I say tonight has been prayed over I've sought counsel and I'm not trying to be ugly or hurtful in any way but I want to give you guys some practical observations of things that I've seen, and I want we'll get started here. So Epaphras brings to Paul um, this information, and he says here, um, Paul says, uh, admonishes them in verse 9, walk in the Spirit and grow in bearing good fruit, increasing in their knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So why is he admonishing them with these four things if they are in Christ? So let's take a look at that. And according to MacArthur Study Bible, a dangerous heresy had arisen, okay, among this church. It contained elements of what later will become known as Gnosticism, that God is good, but matter is evil, that Jesus Christ was merely one of a series of emanations descending from God and being less than God, a belief that will lead and will lead eventually to them denying his true humanity, and that a secret higher knowledge above Scripture is necessary for enlightenment and salvation. Okay, now that's super nerdy, okay? And you might think, I would never do that. I don't even know what half those words mean. But let's look at the two big words there, if you can see them over the drum case. Anytime, ladies, that you have, are introduced to something that is secret or higher, then you need to have a red flag going off in your mind. There was a very popular book not long ago that was called, literally called The Secret. Beep, 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 beep. You need to have that going off in your mind, okay? If there, let's see what the Bible says about secret and higher, shall we? What does Romans 1.20 say? Let's look at it. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal powers and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Our God is not in the business of hiding 
his character from us. He literally has given us an entire book with his words and commands for our life. He's not, there, obviously, we're not going to ever know all the facets of God. If he, he wouldn't be God, right, if that was the case. But he has made himself clearly known. It is even where cultures that have never heard the word of God before, missionaries will go into the jungles and they will have some form of a monotheistic belief system simply on the basis of the creation that they see around them because it is evident. You look out at these mountains, you can buy into the fact that all that just accidentally happened or you can think, hmm, somebody did that. Somebody bigger than me had a hand in all of that. And these tribes in the middle of nowhere somehow have a context when they're shared the gospel, they understand it because they're like, that makes sense. We just didn't know his name. We just didn't know his name. So let's put this in layman, lay girls terms. It is saying that in order to have a spiritual experience, you need to dig deep within your heart and grow in knowledge, and then you will be enlightened. That sounds more familiar, doesn't it? Dig in our hearts. Y'all hear that all the time. Go with your heart. Just whatever your heart tells you. Okay, what does the Bible say about our hearts, girls? Hearts are deceit. Yes, very good. Yay, you guys are doing great. Yes, our hearts are wicked. Who can know them? Ooh, I spit. I don't even have a mask on. But hey, that's why I'm so far back. <laughs> All right, so yes, our hearts are desperately wicked. So don't buy into that check your heart stuff because our hearts will take us down the wrong path. Paul tells them that he's praying for them to become Christ-centered. How are they not Christ-centered? Aren't they a church establishing the truth? JT English says this, but you see, they were a church that had become bored with Jesus. They had become um, apathetic, and they didn't realize it. The Colossian heresy that was creeping in, now listen to this description that he gives. It's an eclectic blend of Jewish legalism mixed with Greek philosophies and Oriental mysticism with a dash of Christian flavor. Okay, so can you show my picture? Okay. All right, I don't, okay, don't judge me. Y'all know over quarantine we watched all our stories. You did, you know, you caught up on all your podcasts, all your sermons first, and then you got on all your Netflix and all your Hulu and all your, so this comes out and they charge us, what, $45 or something to watch it. So we're watching, this is the newest uh, Ryan the Dragon. Anybody seen it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's basically like Disney just took all of these different movies and smashed them into one. I'm sitting there watching it with my kids and they're like, is it like Mulan or is it like Wreck-It Ralph? The bad, the bad girl kind of reminds us of the villain on Wreck-It Ralph. And then you have like, she's got soup, like, like she does the bow staff thing like Mulan, but she's also going to find somebody to help her save her people like Moana. So you've got this di dash of this and this, it just reminded me when I read this, I'm like, this is, this is like this movie. I don't know where she's from, India, China, I'm not really sure. But one thing I do know, if you have girls, they figured out a way for y'all to have to buy two plushies. You got this little roly-poly thing. And then that thing is a dragon, but also a unicorn. And it changes colors. So I'm really sorry if you have young girls because you're going to be about blue, pink, and I think there's like an iridescent one. Anyways, that's silly. It's a silly example. But that's ex essentially what they're doing. The Colossians are not outright denying Christ. If you had asked them who they love, they would have said God. If you'd asked them were they saved, they would have said, yeah, wholeheartedly, yes. While they're not blatantly denying Christ, they had dethroned him, okay? Dethroned him. And what I want to do, I want to take a second, and I want to show you two false narratives that just came out in the past two couple months, okay? And they're, they're not, there's nothing new under the sun. But here, let's put this quote up. This false narratives, write this down. False narratives often sound spiritual, okay? This was from April 4th of this year, um, and I read this to my kids because I wanted to, I read this, and I thought, oh my goodness, listen to this. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So far, so that sounds really good. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Now, the issue with this quote, okay, I'm glad. Good, you guys, extra credit. You guys are tracking. My boy's 10 years old. My six-year-old, he's, he's not quite there yet, obviously. But my, I read it to my, my boys, and I said, hey, I'm just going to read this, and I just want to see where we're at, <laughs> how we're doing. And when I read it, they had the same response, and they were like, mama, that's not right. No, we can't. When helping hurts, sure. But I can take water to the ends of the earth, but if I do not take the name of Jesus, they will die and go to hell with their thirst quenched temporarily it is this and the problem is he's a reverend so in the media of course everybody's canceling him but then they started defending him and the defense was he's a pastor 
he should, I'm going to trust him more than some lay person. What do you know? You're not, you didn't go to school for that. But we need to do what you just did when we read stuff like this, okay? Now listen, this next one, before, don't put it up yet. Did you already put it? I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I understand that in a group this size, we have all levels of growth, okay? But what I want to do here is I want to show you guys something that hits a little bit closer to home. Go ahead. All right, so this is Rachel Hollis. Her book is number one on the Christian charts right now. Christian charts. That's why I'm bringing it up, okay? She is, you can buy her at any Christian bookstore that you stop at. There is a workbook that goes with her book that you can use in your church as a Bible study, and maybe that is your situation. But what I want to do is I want to tell you a little bit about her. And I'm, we're not in the habit of doing this typically, but I think that this is very, very important. How in the Christian circle is this book, number one? Let's read a quote by her. For Hollis, and this is her words, salvation is found in ourselves. The real you is destined for something more, your version of more. This is who you were made to be. And the first step to making that vision a reality is to stop apologizing for having the dream in the first place. Like Lady Gaga says, baby, you were born this way. It's time to become who you were made to be. All right, to get there, and these are the pages where you can find this, she says, first, you have to learn to love yourself well and give yourself credit. Then reach out for more. She encourages readers then to pick 10 goals, write them out every day, and meditate. See the wording? So good. And it is. She's claiming to be. She says, I'm a liberal Christian. She says that. She makes that clear. Meditate on the future vision we have of ourselves in order to get our subconscious involved. An example of one of her goals is that she only wants to fly first class. Okay, so what I'm going to say, <laughs> and I listened to her. I, I, I wanted to hear, I wanted to read, I tried my best to find out what does she stand for? Who does she stand for? And it, I could, hardly could find it. 45-minute interview on Trinity Broadcasting Network, and not one time did she mention the name of Jesus. She did talk about God a little bit towards the end, but it was in the context of that her ministry is booming and that he must be fine with what she's saying. That was the context. So I'm telling you this because, women, this book is number one and we're the ones buying it. So if it is, if the Lord has used it in your life, maybe even to draw you here, wonderful. But now I want you to take it, and I want you to compare it up to Scripture. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23 through 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man or woman if you gain the whole world and you lose and forfeit yourself or your soul? Okay? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world? You gain first class and you lose your soul. It doesn't. It's, this, is the ob this morning when Sarah quoted 1 Corinthians 13, it triggered in me. A litmus test for us. When we get, these books are, she is so fun. I think that if I knew her personally, we would be friends, right? Until we got in. She says this stuff, but here's what we have to do. Take 1 Corinthians 13 alone. When, or I, th I think that's the love chapter where she says love is uh, patient, kind, is not self-serving. That's the opposite of what we just read. So that is not lining up with scripture. Let these things, these sneaky things that come in, it does sound good. Women's movement is on the rise, but we have to guard against getting off track. So here's the thing. When we desire Jesus plus theology, it's the basic idea at the root that Jesus is not enough. He is insufficient, and we must go beyond him to experience fullness of what the world will offer in this lifetime. And you might be thinking, I don't do that. I'm never going to do that. But the conviction was super rich for me in my study time because here's the reality. When we desire Jesus plus anything else, we can slip into this false gospel, okay? It's super, we talked about this in the, in the fall. Prosperity gospel is like lingering because we want our situation changed and we're, I'm guilty. I wanted that whole thing. I'm so glad that we're here right now and we didn't have to cancel, but that wasn't God's will for last year, right? He needed to teach us all something through that time. So how, and here's where the outline comes in, how do we guard against this? How do we guard with being a good Christian or on track with the Lord and not getting off? Because I'm sure, and I shared these quotes with Little before I put them up here, and one thing that stuck, stuck out to me that she said was, what did it take for Mr. Warwick to get to that point? I'm sure that he did not wake up one day and just decide that he was going to have that narrative, right? It's like a, she said it was like a whittling over time, accepting 
this is fine, this is okay, this is, it's, it's not, I, it doesn't affect me, and then all of a sudden, you have this, you don't wake up one day just saying this stuff, there's something that happens, how do we guard from that? All right, so here's our outline, verses, and I get it from verse 9 through 10, Paul is praying for these people for things, okay, and we're going to go through these one at a time, so there's the whole list, but I'm going to do them one at a time, okay, so Paul prays for them to be, in verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. All right, so number one, Paul prayed that they would grow in the knowledge of his will. Okay, whose will? God's will. We see as far back as Genesis, people have sought knowledge. Eve in the garden discussing the fruit tree with the snake in Genesis 3-5 and the, the snake says to her, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, and you'll know good and evil. And we all know that story. What does she do? She wants it. It's a habit that we have, don't we? It's a, it's a, it's a trait in us because we desire, he tells it in the curses, that we are going to have a desire to rule over, but we are going to be under. In the, in the context, a rule, our husband will rule over us, but we will be in submission. And uh, you may not be married, but it is a constant struggle, isn't it? My whole life I've dealt with this, to be under authority. We don't like it. We want to know. I want to know as much as I can about all the things, and I want to decide. And we see that as far back as Genesis 3. So the first prayer Paul has for this group of believers is that they will grow in the knowledge of God's will because it's the one thing the enemy loves to try and thwart. He can't. God is sovereign. But he loves for us not to trust God, not to trust that his plans are good for us. If a believer wanted to stay busy for a long while, you can scour the scriptures looking for passages that talk about God's will for your life. Many studies have been written, and this is a great practice. If you're looking for a place to start, get in the word and find out what is God's will for your life. I don't have time to exhaust the whole list, but let me give you some um, verses. Jeremiah 29 11, everybody knows that one, right? You got a coffee mug with it on there? Anybody? It states he knows the plans he has for us, and they're plans to prosper us and not to harm us. But we know in the context, where are they when they get this verse? Anybody know? Everybody say captivity? Yes. Yeah, they're in captivity. They're conquered. They're not in a good place, but he's telling them, hey, I know the plans I have for you. Trust me, okay? Sometimes <laughs> God's will for us is not roses. Sometimes it's captivity. Okay, in 1 Timothy 2, 4, we see that God desires that all people will become saved. That's his will, and come to a knowledge of truth. And for this week's theme of staying within the fruit of the Spirit, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and it should have been up on the slide. For this is the will of God, Sarah said this morning. Isn't it nice when it's just, here it is. I know there's single girls in here that are like, this is the will of God. His name is but it's not like that, okay? So you got to trust him. This is the will of God. Guess what it is? It's your sanctification. Jen talked about that, right? Sanctification. So what is that? Spencer Davis, Amy's husband, always, he talks about this in some of his messages. He always wondered as a kid or a, as an adult when he's studying, why didn't the Lord just take us after we got saved, right? It just seems like it would just save a lot of trouble if we just got to go on, whoosh, right on up, out of here. But sanctification is a setting apart for a special use. To sanctify a person is to make him or her holy, okay? So what I want to do is I want to take a second, and I want to explain to you the gospel, okay? In a room this large, with this many women, this many wa different walks of life that have come to the table today, I'm not, I don't want to let the opportunity pass to share with you this spirit and this salvation that we're talking about, how, how do I get sanctified? How does that even, how does that start? So let me show you what the gospel does. Got a slide up here. Romans 3.23 says, For all of us have sinned. Ladies, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. God is holy, and he cannot be in the presence of our sin. I don't care how small it is. Maybe you're just self-righteous. Maybe you're a good, you've, you were the good kid. You never cheated. You didn't steal pencils and papers when you were in kindergarten. You did your thing, right? And you were obedient. But you were really proud about that. That is self-righteousness, and that is a sin, and it cannot be in the presence of a holy God. But neither can if you rob, you know, the bank or whatever. That's also the same in his eyes, and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of that sin for me is death. 
I don't have a choice. I did not keep his laws, so I have to pay the punishment, right? But the gift of God, here's the good news, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 5.28 says that God demonstrated his own love toward us, that while I was still sinning, he died for me. Romans 10.9 says this is how you get saved. You ready? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is how this process starts, okay? If you have never done that, (laughs) I would challenge you tonight. Somebody has brought you to this place. You have been invited. It is by no accident that you're sitting here right now. And that is not, you, you would not have willed yourself here, okay? The Holy Spirit is drawing you. If you just sat here and heard that for the first time and you're feeling it's this conviction that begins to come over you, that's how any Christian begins their journey. It's in the hearing. That's why if you have this in your heart, you need to be sharing it. Because when somebody hears, they have a chance to respond or reject. But it's up to us that are believers to share what we know. And in the hearing, the Spirit will open your mind and your heart to the truth of who Jesus is. And if you confess with your mouth and you believe on him, believe that he died for you. Remember the excruciating um, scenario that Jen described? He saves you. He did that for you because he knew you could not save yourself. They begin their walk of sanctification. That work is done in our lives through the spirit that we keep talking about, okay? This is what we teach our kids in kids' church. I'm going to put that up. Let's see. i got to find my slide. Yeah, so we do this in our little kids' church. We, t- we say to the kids, how does the Holy Spirit help us? And they'll say, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. That's the role of the spirit that we're talking about this weekend. Okay, so I read this book. I'm going to tell you the name of it because some of you are going to really want to get it. The Mystery of the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's by R.C. Sproul. He's really, he's really solid and still on track really good, so we're excited about that. The Mystery of the Holy Spirit states, okay, so I'm going to read some quotes from him. That part of the Spirit's work is to hover over creation. You see it in Genesis 3, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, keeping things intact, so to speak. In this regard, we see the Spirit as the divine preserver and protector. The Spirit is at work maintaining what the Father brings into being. Sproul states that the Spirit brings order out of disorder. And that the parallel between the Spirit's work in creation and his work in redemption is noteworthy. As our sanctifier, he hovers over his children to produce integrity in their lives. He orders and preserves what God has created and redeemed. I love this book. I ended up, I got the chapter on the fruit of the Spirit, and I ended up just reading the whole thing because I was like, I got to have the context. I got to have, it was just such a powerful read. The moment the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to our sin, We admit we're sinners, and we cannot save ourselves. We bend our will to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for that saving work. That's when we begin our walk with the Lord. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect. Not this side of heaven, ladies. Justification, it'll be just as if I'd never sinned. If I died today and I had Jesus in my heart, I stand before a holy God, and he doesn't see me. He sees his son, and that's what saves us. Jesus' blood on the cross. It's so awesome. And what this means is, I then will start walking. (laughs) And you better believe the enemy hates it. I'm going to tell you what, ladies, if you're sitting in here and you're not a believer, he hates it to the tune of making those bathrooms. I'm not going to give the enemy any credit, but but, I mean, it was literally like we just could not figure out, like, why is this all happening? The rain, and then today the Lord's just like, no, we're going to have fun today. And it's just awesome because he's preserving somebody in here needs to hear about Jesus. Amen? And one of you may be coming from death to life today, and I'm excited about that. Um, The enemy hates it. He immediately begins to dredge up old patterns and past habits in our lives. He tries to get us to believe lies and fancy speeches and derail the walk that we begin. So that leads to part two, okay? He wants them to begin to walk in a manner. And we have talked about this all weekend. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We have to start walking. and I got to go faster. All right. Um, Again, this is an admonishment from Paul. We could do an entire Bible study. How to walk. Who to walk with? Where to walk? Walking in the light as he is in the light? Walking on the way? Jesus is the way? Or for our time this weekend, again, you go back to Galatians 5.16 that Jen um, did such a great job um, expositing. I say then walk in the spirit 
and you will not or you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, Sproul says in his book, the Christian life is a pilgrimage. Okay, in the imagery of the scripture, it is a journey that we travel by foot. Walking is a relatively slow mode of transportation. Most of us move along this journey at a snail's pace. We do not run and race and leap through obstacle courses of temptation. There are barriers that impede our progress. At every point, we face the speed bumps of the flesh. Again, Paul writes, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. Do you remember last night when she was explaining that whole tension that we have? And I rem- I, the, a lot of the girls here, the intern girls, run around campus, you know, and Miss Tiffany just joined the staff, love her from Sovereign Hope, but now she's a snowbirder. And I remember when she first got here, she's like, hey, do you want to run sometime? I'm like, no, no, I'm not, no, no, no. I had like four jogging strollers with my kids. You know, I had the twins, and we just walked all over. We would buy our strollers from Atlanta because if y'all are from Atlanta, y'all don't really walk on gravel down there. And y'all strollers used are awesome. So we would just, well, I'd just walk and walk and walk. I would walk to China, but I am not running and I don't really work out. So that is probably why I'm not losing the weight I want to lose. <laughs> but that's all right. Okay, that's for another sermon. Okay, so yeah, so we got to walk, walking in the spirit. He doesn't tell you to, that you have to go to seminary. He just says, start walking, start walking. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, so Sarah, let's go to number three. Sarah went into wonderful detail this morning about the fruit of the Spirit, so I'm not, I'm not going to take time for that, but let's look at the, the fruit really quickly, okay? Because he tells them part of this staying on track is bearing that fruit that we went into in detail, so hopefully you took good notes there. But the fruit of the Spirit, girls, we know it, right? We used to sing in kids' church. It's not a coconut. Y'all, you ever sing that song? <laughs> Y'all know, how many work in kids' church? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about. You might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit. All right. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And you have to say it even faster than that in the song. Gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I want to share this quote with you. And what I want to do is take a second and talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Because even when I was studying this, I think I was getting these things confused in my mind. The gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Have you guys heard of the gifts of the Spirit? Yeah, well, a lot of That's mostly where we all kind of camp out. Tom Reese writes this, God sealed you by giving you the gift of his Holy Spirit, the initial gift, and then every child of God bears that same seal, okay, and is indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. So here's a really cool thing. If somebody in here, you're sitting beside your pastor's wife, and you know that tonight's your night, and you're going you're gonna to give your life to Jesus, but you're really freaked out because you think she's got her mess together, guess what? You get the same Holy Spirit that she has the moment you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. She doesn't have a secret higher knowledge. Now, she may be walking a little longer than you, but that is only to help you now on your journey. Super cool. So at salvation, we're extended this gift of the Holy Spirit, but Paul in Colossians is praying for them to now bear fruit. He isn't praying here that they're going to grow in their knowledge of the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, later in the letter to Corinthians, to the Corinthian church, he sends instructions to that church on not obsessing so much with the gifts of the Spirit while they absolutely are important and necessary for building up of the body of Christ, they must go hand in hand with the fruit of the Spirit, which reflects the character of God. Okay, so Sproul states again in this book, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are fascinating and exciting. To be a gifted person is to receive accolades from our fellows for our performances and our abilities. For these reasons and perhaps others, the gifts of the Spirit receive far more attention in our church culture than the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit seems to be doomed to obscurity, hidden in the shadow of the more preferred gifts. So I was raised in the church culture, grew up in it. Dad's a pastor. Mom's a teacher in the church, in the school, and the whole thing. And so I can remember from the time that I was in youth group and middle school and high school, about every quarter we do gift tests. You guys know what I'm talking about? Spiritual gifts, letters, maybe animal. You might be an otter or a, a golden retriever or whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, Enneagram, numbers, letters. We used to do this one in church that was um, whether you are a prophet or a teacher or an exhorter or a mercy. Have you guys ever done that one? Good test is fine, but I remember as a kid in youth group, really, really the popular girl, I think she was actually a cheerleader, and she kept getting exhorter, and I kept thinking, man, I want to get that one, and I would always try to answer my questions in such a way that I might get that one, because she was so cool, you know, and there was this other girl who was super sweet, she's the kind of girl, like, if you told her you're having a bad day, she'd get like that, like, immediate cry tear right there, and you're like, oh, she's so nice, and of course... I always landed on the prophet one, 
because in my unsanctified state, I was a little bit more bossy and blunt and identified with that gift more than the others. But boy, I wanted to exhort in mercy and all of that. But man, unfortunately, no matter how often I took the test, I couldn't get it. I wasn't wired. I couldn't even fake it. I couldn't wire myself that way. But I hadn't walked any which way in the spirit at that point to be refined or defined by him. My walk was a snail's pace. (laughs) so we're obsessed as a culture aren't we with who we are ourselves we want to label everything we want to define everything from our gender our sexuality to the tupperware and our kitchen counters y'all know we want to label everything we're a culture that's confused by who we are and what our purpose is on this earth the enemy loves this confusion because when we are focused in on ourselves we are in no shape to reflect the love of christ in a way that will be of any gospel value and it's so sad to say this When you enter the Christian doors, the Christian arena, this confusion isn't often left outside. We bring it right in there with us, don't we? The gifts of the Spirit, while absolutely necessary, don't matter if I don't have a gospel-driven, people-serving love, love defined by Jesus and not the latest trend. If I don't have this love, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, the Bible says I am a clanging gong or cymbal, and that makes so much more sense to me now. I can do all of these things. But if I don't love my neighbor well, if I don't love someone well, then it is, there's, it's, it's a waste of energy. The Colossian church was so caught up in these extras, these outside signs and wonders, they were missing the point that Paul was addressing to them, which was to bear fruit, the fruit of the character of Jesus through the work of the Spirit that would happen in their lives. Um, only the Holy Spirit can conceive and bear the fruit of the Spirit, Sproul says. A person can be a skilled preacher without the Spirit. We can be a theological genius after the flesh. We can be silver-tongued orders apart from grace, but the only source of the fruit of the Spirit is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. It is by no accident that the fruit of the Spirit is not elevated in our ranks as the highest test of righteousness. There abides so much flesh in me that he says we prefer another standard. The fruit test is too high. I cannot attain it. So within our Christian subculture, we prefer to elevate some lesser tests by which to measure ourselves with more success. We can compete with each other then with greater capacity if we mix some flesh together with spirit. How hard it is for us to be measured by our love, and please don't evaluate me by my standard of gentleness. I am far too impatient, he says, to deserve patience as my standard, mixed with the lead of envy and the alloy of rudeness. It is an inconsistent love. And he says that, but I feel like I'm writing my own situation. I, I am. I can... I, the other list with the quick temper and the, and the frustration and the, all that, man, don't measure me by that. Don't measure me by that. There is so much more necessary than whether I can stand up here. The fruit of the Spirit is so much more necessary than whether I can stand up here and teach today or exhort someone tomorrow. The Colossians, in their pursuit of more and better and different, had just grown bored with Jesus. They were bored with just loving and serving him. And they thought that in order to have more, live their best life now, enrich their minds, self-help, they needed Jesus plus something. Um, J.T. English writes, to bring this point home to our modern minds, that they wanted Jesus plus sports, okay? Jesus, essential oils, whatever. Jesus and your politics. Jesus and your Enneagram, and your Enneagram number. Okay, don't email me. All right, I've said Disney and the Enneagram, I know. I know, I got an email last time I said that. I understand that it has roots in paganism. I understand that. But here's the thing. The test itself is not demonic, okay? But here's what the problem is, okay? It's the fact that we take those results of a test like that and allow it to trump what Jesus says is true about me, okay? We'll study those memes and we'll look at the charts and our wings and the books and the whole bit. There's a generation of y'all in here that are doing that. There's another generation in here that doesn't know what I'm talking about. But for y'all, listen to what I'm saying, okay? It's not the test that's demonic. Good for you if you're a one or whatever. It doesn't matter. God's word and what Jesus says that we can be in him trumps your number. Okay? It trumps it. And what we do a lot of times is we just settle in to what we we think we are. We were all born with intrinsic gifts. It is our human DNA to want to be useful. It is our purpose-driven We just have this desire to be needed, right? Some of you are born artistic and creative from birth. Some of you are gifted at languages and educational things. I was born barking orders at the midwife, right, and rearranging the neonatal equipment before they popped my butt, okay? Nobody had to teach me (laughs) to line up my stuffed animals and tell them to obey when I was in elementary school. That, 
Organizing my closet in middle school by color coding. That, that was Nobody had to instruct me in all those things. But those were not yet gifts refined by a walking person in the spirit. And those were intrinsic traits. You guys all have them, something that God has gifted you with. And God-given, but without the spirit leading it, ooh, y'all, it's a hot mess. And that's why we have to have a breakout like what we had today where they tell us, don't force your help. Please <laughs> listen, then go, because I'm just as guilty as the next person to do that. I may be an eight on paper, but that is no excuse for me not to be gentle in my conduct, forgiving in my interactions with people, not given to bouts of anger, which I am guilty. I am commanded to do so. For me to dismiss my behavior because I have an elevated view of who I am based on a group of letters or numbers on a quiz, then I'm off track. And if I settle into my flesh like I would a good, uh, into a good sofa to read a book, then I'm not walking by the Spirit. And I find myself in the same exact place as the church in Colossae. I quench the work the Spirit can and will do in my life if I grow in my knowledge of who God is. If I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. If I am trying to bear His fruit that He says He will grow in me if I step with His Spirit. All right, so the enemy loves that believers settle for their intrinsic traits. When we are called to be set apart vessels wholly, every day, trying to look more like our Savior. We all have a testimony, girls, and we will continue to have a story of how God shapes and molds our intrinsic gifts that he's given us. And the gifts the Spirit has lavished on us. I know for me, I couldn't have stood up here. I couldn't have stood up here today if it's not for the refining fire I've walked through the past 25 years a cocky 23-year-old rolling in on this property thinking I had something to offer, and the Lord had to do a work. And it was hard, and it's painful, but it's where I can stand here and say, I have not arrived. I sinned last week over hamburger meat in my sink, and I'm not even going to tell that story because we are out of time. But it is embarrassing, (laughs) and I think, gosh, $50 of hamburger meat and my 10-year-old and I, and I disobey the Lord because I'm quick. I'm quick with my words, and it comes out into my children. And I have, I, that is one area where I'm like, Lord, I want to submit this to you. And, I'm, and I just confess that's true, true life. Okay, and we all have something like that. How do we keep pushing ourselves to be at a place where only Jesus can? Okay, so this is our last point. You guys excited? <laughs> Number four, he tells them to increase with the knowledge of God. And I'm going to just, I'm not going to read all that, but Hebrews 5, yes, I am. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teaching, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. I'm talking to myself. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But the solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I'm so encouraged when I put those two examples on the board and everybody went, ooh, because that's good. That's you discerning between good and evil. And that's awesome. And again, back to my weight loss, I think that we think that these spiritual, the fruit of the spirit is us pulling ourselves up by our proverbial bootstraps to change this rotten flesh. But it ultimately comes from the giving up and saying I can't I can't do this I cannot be nice I have two 10 year olds and I talk to one of them and then the other one does it and I think didn't I just say that but I said it to you I can't I can't I can't (laughs) I'm done (sighs) but who can do it in me right Jesus can do it and they'll get older amen (laughs) praise all right so let's let's wrap this up the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things are coming. They're coming. It's not all there yet. Living as a new creation, Spurgeon says, is something God works in us using our will and our choices. So we must both first receive the gift of being that new creation. Some of you need to do that. And then those of us that have done that, now we need to begin that change, challenge to live the life of a new creation. But it is God's work in us that... We must submit to you. This reminds us that at the root of Christianity, it's all about what God has done for us, not what I can do for him. It is not based on my righteousness. It is not by works. It is by faith. Okay, so what is our greatest weapon? How can I do all these things? Guess what? The spirit has a sword. Yes. Okay, so this is the sword. It says in Ephesians 6, we get to put on the whole armor of God, put on the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Um, 
And the last thing I want to say on this is maturity requires that a person learns to use our greatest spiritual tool, which is the word of God. In order to aid our discernment, the end result, according to this verse, is a person who can distinguish between good and evil. This is about more than just moral dilemmas. It's also a reference to knowing the difference between truthful, godly teaching and worldly false faith. All right. On the one hand, the Colossians were intrigued by trinkets, spiritualism in the form of angel worship, and mysticism. And on the other hand, they were trying to impose laws and legalism on each other that Jesus had come to set them free from. It's easier for them to adopt things to add to Jesus than just to submit to Jesus. So I want to close with this. Listen to our last piece of our text again. This last section of Colossians 1 is so powerful. Now that you've heard all that, think about how he's writing it to them. And so, from the day we heard, I, Paul, have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his gracious might, glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. I can imagine Paul scream writing that now. Like you don't need to worship angels and trinkets and seek spiritualism. That is the domain of darkness. The angels that you want to know about are at the feet of Jesus saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord and you have been rescued from the rest of them by the power of Jesus' blood. It takes on a whole new meaning when you read rescued from the domain of darkness when you realize that these believers were trying to delve into that realm. And I think about our missionaries who literally see that realm on a daily basis. It seems like we take that for granted because we're so cultured. But don't we take Jesus and try to make him just a priority, right? He should be our life. God is not just someone we visit on Sunday morning. He is. And the rest has to fall under him. Why? Because of Jesus. Paul finishes off that scripture with a, with a description of who Jesus is. And it literally is labeled in my Bible, the preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, or all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. He ends it by laying it out there. Jesus is enough. Put away the mysticism. Jesus is enough. Put away law, living, rules, legalism. Jesus fulfilled the law, and he gave us a new command to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and our strength. Walk in the spirit, in the genuine love of God. Joy in his presence, peace that sin has been defeated. Patience while you wait eagerly for his return. Kindness to others, goodness to anyone, even a perceived enemy. Faithful to this Jesus that is above all things. Praying for more faith to stand firm if need be. Gentleness to new believers as they begin their walk of sanctification. Self-control in a world that tells you to be happy. You do you, grab whatever makes you feel good. And this fulfills the law of Christ. This kind of fruit reflects our Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.